This morning I want us to turn to Numbers chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3. We're going to read a few verses from the beginning of this chapter. And just take one phrase of our reading as text. Lord gives us many pictures in the scripture. Many wonderful truths. We oftentimes miss these things because our minds are preoccupied with the details so much that we overlook how does this speak of the Lord? But let's read together and we trust the Lord will bless us as we consider his word. Numbers chapter 3 verse 1 the scripture says these also are the generations of Aaron and Moses in the day that the Lord spake with Moses in Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron. Nadab the firstborn. And Abihu. Eleazar and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the priests which were anointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office. And Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord, when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children. And Eleazar and Ithamar ministered in the priest's office in the sight of Aaron their father. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may minister unto him. And they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. And they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the children of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. And thou shalt give the Levites unto Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. We'll end our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless his word for Jesus' sake. I'm taking as our text, actually, the last phrase of verse 10 where it says and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put unto, uh, be put to death and I want to try to answer the question which is also our title what happened to my sin what happened to my sin well may the Lord guide us help us to see to learn and to rejoice in the work of Christ Jesus as we consider this this morning before we go any further though let's ask the Lord to meet with us for Jesus' sake, Lord in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless the word of God. We pray that you will let it be that which is plain and simple. That the lesson that it teaches would be that which we can understand 
and we can rejoice in. We pray that you will speak to us. We pray that you will encourage us. We pray that thou will guide us in the way of your truth. That we might be a people who truly are able to see and walk with Christ in the light of the word. And be able to rejoice in the success of his great atoning work. Lord bless us. Help me as thy servant. Guide thought and word. Lord, deliver from all things that have to do with man. Exalt all things that have to do with the Lord Jesus. And these things we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. I want to begin by pointing out that the Lord Jesus used in his ministry the simplest of pictures to teach some of the most important truths. In his teaching, the Lord Jesus spoke of bread, of seeds, and of doors. He offered parables that included references to pearls and candles. He pointed to sheep and wolves and dogs and sparrows. He used pictures to make plain what otherwise may be hard to grasp and even harder to remember. Today, we will consider an Old Testament instruction given to Moses, but an instruction that has a great deal of illustrative value. It teaches in plain terms a very important truth for all the people of God. And the underlying truth I suggest to you is something that we must understand. It is important for us to understand. It is a great comfort to us if we understand. Well, the instruction to Moses was this. Aaron and his sons were ordained and set apart for a very special and exclusive service. They were the priests. And they were the only priests that could handle and use certain instruments and vessels in the service of the Lord. Well, we might ask the question, well, why? The answer is that these were instruments that were very particularly connected to the holy way in which there would come access to the Lord himself. These were holy things. I underscore that. What Aaron and his sons were handling, what they were doing, the service that they were rendering, all that had to do with their part of the ministry of the tabernacle was considered holy. Now I suggest to you that these things that they handled, the ministry that they conducted, were emblematic. They were emblematic things which were directly tied to the putting away of sin and the redemption of the redeemed. Their service, their ministry, the things that they handled were particularly 
tied to the matter of the removal of sin and the redemption of the people of God. It was a picture of that. It was a great lesson in that truth. And the duty of these involved the sacrifice of the Lamb. And what occurred before the most holy presence. Only Aaron and his sons were able to present the blood of atonement before the mercy seat of God. Theirs was an exclusive ministry. In fact, we could say that the duty of Aaron's sons and the instruments that were used were all a foreshadowing. And here's my point. These were all a foreshadowing of the ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. And what he does to bring to God. Here is not only the most holy work of Christ. The most holy character of his person as a sacrifice. But the most holy moment in which all is presented before the face of God as redemption's perfect work. Here is a picture that cannot stand defilement. But the instruction of Moses did not only speak of the exclusive nature of the holy things, but the absolute necessity, and I underscore this, the absolute necessity of these things, this ministry being guarded from all hands, but those which had been chosen of God for the work. In other words, God forbade any coming into that place which spoke of the atonement of Christ, save priests. No other intruder was allowed in that place. Well, you may say, what are you trying to say? I'm just going to tie this to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. You know this verse. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved work of Jesus Christ was an exclusive work. It was a pure work. It was a holy work. No other could do that work. No other of God may be allowed in the place where they would claim that they could do that work. And there must be a guarding of, of the holiness and the purity of that work. So God instructed Moses that if any stranger was to come close to touch the holy things or to try to use them he was to be put to death. Now this would not only include those that were not Levites but also those Levites who were not the sons of Aaron who were set apart for the holy work. The sins that were brought before the sons of Aaron were only able to be dealt with by that ministry which God had ordained. These were ordained to handle the holy things that men might come to God. Now the picture that I believe we see here points to the priestly work of the Lord Jesus. Again I say he is the one appointed of God to open access to God. 
His person and his sacrifice are most holy to the Lord. Uh, he is called the Holy One. He is called the Servant of the Lord. Acts 2 and verse 27 speaks of the Lord Jesus not being allowed to see corruption as the Holy One. He is that one anointed for this work. And the point of it is that if any intrudes upon the person or the work of the Lord Jesus to defile, to deny, or to substitute anything for the holiness of his person and his priestly work, that one will be put to an everlasting death. But we have a question that arises quickly here. What about those who come in repentance to this holy place? Are they to be seen the same? What if a man comes with a sacrifice? Will he die? Well, let me simply say, many came, brought their lambs. But my point is, there was still a death. There was still a death. There was a judgment. There was a transaction that made the one offering free. There was the great transfer or the imputation that God ordained that brought death, but also brought life. But what does all of this have to do with the question we are asking by our title? How does all of this relate to the removal of sin? What happens to my sin? How does this relate to me? How does this picture apply to me? How does this great illustration itself out case well that's what I want us to think about this morning and I suggest to you that this instruction pictures God's sentence against all that was laid on the Lord as he went to the cross I have three things I'm going to three things you just I'm technical or deep on this I want it to be very simple the first thing I want you to see as we consider this picture, the death of the stranger that comes and is somehow touching the holy. The first thing I want you to see with me is this, that our sins, our sins and touched the holy. Our sins did approach and touch the holy. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, you know it. And the Lord him, the iniquities of us all. Yes, our The picture that I want us to see is this. Consider the holy place. The place that cannot be approached is the place of the Lord's presence. It cannot and will not be defiled by the sins and crimes of fallen men. It cannot happen. God will not allow that mercy seat to see the corruption of man presented before it. But also, here is the place to which all must come if there is going to be reconciliation to God. But all that come may not take up the work the loan gives to the sons of Aaron. Only the priest that is able to stand before God and do the work of the holy things. That which comes and is not holy is death. But all who come are defiled by sin. 
So, point, there must be a death. And there is a death. The death is a death of the substitute that pays the penalty for sin. Yes. But here's my point. And I want you to think about it with me. In this is also included the truth that there is also the death of sin itself. There is also the death of sin itself. For the offering one walks away free. Here we might ask the question, was it for the sins of all mankind that the Lord Jesus died and paid the debt? Did the sins of all find their way into the holy place and touch the Lord? Were the sins of all mankind nailed to his cross? Well, again, think of the picture of what would happen here at the tabernacle. The picture is of a man who comes before the priest and the altar with his hands on the head of the lamb to be slain. That explains what we're dealing with here. The sins of that one alone were taken from him. It was that which came into the presence of the holy to seek atonement that found that death had come. Well, here's the truth. Here's the picture. Here's the meaning. Our sins, our sins, not in part, but the whole, are nailed to the cross. It is the sins that are laid on him by the imputation of God that is in view. I want you to understand it. Yes, every vile, every wicked sin, every mocking, every defiance of our hearts came into that place when we came to the, to the Lord Jesus. And by the mercies of God, those must die. Yes, our sins came and touched the Lord as our hands were laid on him by faith. We were considering in our house, well, more how many touched the Lord during his walk among men? Well, my question is this, what happened when these who were touching the Lord Jesus actually reached out and took hold of him? What happened? Were their conditions and miseries modified? Or were those miseries put to death? When one reached out to the Lord Jesus and touched the hem of his garment, was that situation merely changed and modified or was it cured and the whole situation put to death? When the Lord Jesus was touched by any and they by faith reached out to him for healing, did he heal them entirely and put to death as it were the malady? Or was he, did, they leave it, did he leave it there in some form or other? that perhaps may have flared up in the future. Well, you know the answer. You know what I'm trying to say. My point to you is simply this, that our sins, our sins, the sins of our hearts were laid on him. As it were, our sins were strangers that came into the holy place and touched the holy, the holy, as if it happened today, did touch Christ. So my next point is this. Our sins were drawn and sentenced to death. Oh, don't think that our sins were just left on and sentenced to death. Now, I want you to understand. Let's make no mistake in our thinking. Sin is not a master. 
It is a tyrant. It is a villain. Sin kills. Sin blasphemes and mocks. But sin is not on any throne. Ultimately, sin and death and hell will forever be cast into the flames of judgment. Those who die in their sins have this sentence upon them. Sin will die. God will not have it in his presence. But the sins of those that God redeems are drawn by divine grace to that death before that judgment day. Leaving the forgiven with life. Which cannot be taken away. We just quoted that in our memory verse. Having forgiven all trespasses and blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us. We just quoted that. My point is this. It is sometimes the case and unfortunately often is that believers that have honestly and earnestly come to the cross and embraced the Lord Jesus by faith believe that their sins are still alive and well. They imagine that those sins, though they may be lifted from them, are not far away. And will call for the disgust and punishment and chastisement of God. The sins continue to mock and jeer. They accuse. They injure. It is as if sometimes we say this. I can remember my sin. I can see plainly my weakness to sin. I can see a recurrence of sins. That I want so to be rid of. But my sin still lives. Or perhaps this. It is as if my sins have arrows. That they shoot and strike. Misery to think of them. And I cannot forget them. I stumble under the weight of them. How awful is my case. The truth is. That when you came to the cross. Your old sinful man touched the Holy One by faith. And there was a death. There was a death. The stranger had to die. That which is foreign to the holiness of God had to be executed. The sentence had to be carried out. That which defiled was not able to escape the sentence. Our sins were sentenced to death. I want you to see, this is just a simple picture. That which comes into the holy place, which is the stranger to the holy place, that which is of sin, must be sentenced to death. And I want you to see, thirdly and lastly, our sins were executed for their crime. Crime? Crime? What crime? It was and is a crime that any sin should touch the holy. The sins of all those who touched the Lamb of God were taken away and executed. See, here's the point. Here's the point. My sins, not me as the Lord has delivered me, but my sins have been executed. Now, it's hard to grasp. I understand what I'm talking about is somewhat opaque. It's somewhat figurative. And it's hard to grasp 
that sin was excellent. Well, we might even ask more particularly. Okay, let's get let's get a little more specific. Tell, bring it down to 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 the 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 details. What was executed, or or what was taken from the redeemed, lifted from them and put to death? What was it that occurred there? What was it that the Lord executed? Well, let's answer that. In execution, first you have the offense of God, uh, offense to God that existed was taken away. Again. Our memory verse. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Which was contrary to us. And took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross. There's the point. That which was the offense of God. The offense that would keep us from knowing life. That offense was lifted. That part of was put to death. Well, let's also understand. Second, the guilt of sin that calls for judgment also was put put to death there. The verdict, guilty. The abiding guilt of sin was put to death. Third, the power of sin that would rule over the heart as a tyrant that also has been lifted from us. Does not Paul mention that over and again throughout the book of Romans? The punishment, the punishment that sin must see was lifted from us. It was put to death. We don't know. We don't bear any punishment. There is no punishment. There is there none that are in Christ Jesus. There is yet to happen to me as a means of God, just and punishment for my sin. It's all been put to death. It's all been put aside. It's been taken out of the way. But also, what's been put to death is the memory of my sin in the mind of God. And remembers them against us no more, the scripture says. <coughs> the execution is a picture of pure mercy. To sinners, those who refuse to bow to the Lamb, to come to the cross, the judgment of sin will be awful. To saints whose sins have been put to death at the cross, the remembrance of that execution is joy. My sins not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross. And I, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh my soul, what joy there is in the remembrance and the thought that my sins have been lifted from me. They have been nailed to the cross. They have been executed by God. All that has to do with my sins from start to finish, every aspect of how they would apply to me or pollute me. They have all been nailed to the cross. The execution of my sins is complete. Can we understand Here, that God is offering a picture that when you bring the stranger, that which is against God and his holiness, into that place, and there is a touching of the sacrifice of the holy things that are in that holy place, that there must be and there is, has been, and forever will be, in the mind of God, that offender executed. Oh, the helpless and defiled that come to Christ and have their sins imputed to the Lamb. Yes, his purity and his righteousness is laid on them. 
But the Lamb of God, that one who is touched by our sins, upon whom our sins are laid, that same Lamb takes away the sin of the world. John 1 and 29. He gathers all the sins of all those who by the grace of God are drawn to him and he bears those sins in his own body on the tree and there they die. In the eyes of the world, the cross was the execution of the Lord Jesus at the hands of cruel men. In truth, the only execution that took place at Calvary was the execution by the hand of God of our sins there at the cross. It was the execution of your sin, believer. See that the stranger that comes and touches must die, and therefore that's what occurred with our sins. Do you see do you see that your sins have been put to death? What further do you need to fear? What fear is there for us? Now, because of this, God is for us. If God is for us, of what then should we be afraid? Of what should we be the servant in our minds. The whole picture as we read it in Numbers seems to be a very fearsome and hard warning. I will say that. The fact is that to the ungodly who never have sin removed, the sentence is death, not only to their sin, but of them forever. But to those who come to Christ, though their sinful hands touch the Lord Jesus by faith, it is only their sins that are put to death. We must not fear our sins. They are dead and we are dead to them. And here is cause for great joy. The, the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. God cannot tolerate in his holy presence or in connection with the holy things that speak of the redeeming work of his precious sons. He cannot ex accept anything that is a stranger to that in that presence, it must die. Therefore, our sins, when they are brought to the cross, must die. That we might live. But may the Lord let his word encourage our hearts for his name's sake. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we will bless the word. We pray that you will let it be that which encourages us. May our confidence be that the Lord Jesus did not do a part of a work that would bring us victory. He did not do most of the work and that there is something yet to be done. But the Lord Jesus did all that which brings us into reconciliation, which gains us peace with God, which tears down, as it were, the enmity that was between us and God. All things that have to do with our old man are now made new we are those who are cleansed. We are those who are made right. We are those who are able to walk in the light. For now the darkness has been taken from us. Those of our hearts that we know were in the prison house of sin have been made free. Oh, how many are the images of the freedom that comes through the Lord Jesus and his work. 
freedom that causes ours to be put to death, for they cannot abide in the presence of God. Lord, we pray that you will help us to rest at this. May it be that which is a joy to us. We pray that you will bless us now. Let our minds and hearts be directed by the Spirit of God to the Lord Jesus. And this we ask in his precious name and for his sake. Amen.